Thank you all for coming. Um, so in my presentation, I'm going to talk about the different factors that have helped to uh, create the environment in which this revolution in Egypt occurred. Um, and the factors are the larger structural factors and together with the development of an increasingly assertive civil society. So what I'm saying is it's the combination of these two elements, the structural factors and uh, civil society that have created the environment in which the revolution occurred. Then I will briefly uh, talk a bit about the implications of the Egyptian revolution in terms of both the future of other governments in the region and also the future foreign policy alignments of Middle East governments. Okay, so um, as you probably know, from the 25th of January until Hosni Mubarak resigned on the 11th of February, millions of Egyptians took to the streets of Cairo, Alexandria, Suez and other cities in Egypt. The protesters were galvanised by the success of the Tunisian people in forcing their dictatorial president to flee on the 14th of January, following several weeks of street demonstrations there. On the 11th of February, the protesters achieved their most significant demand, and that was for President Hosni Mubarak to step down. However, they have other demands to ensure the establishment of democracy and social justice. I won't list them now, but let's just say they're at the beginning of a transition period. Uh, they're not at the end of their struggle. Whilst the revolution in Tunisia was the spark for mass demonstrations in Egypt, the Egyptian revolution was the outcome of changes experienced by the country over the last 10 years. These changes have been structural as well as at the level of civil society. So first of all, to the structural factors, these are mainly twofold. First of all, the intensification of neoliberal economic reforms. And second of all, the US-led invasion of Iraq in 2003, which led to the overthrow of the Ba'ath regime. So, neoliberal economic reforms. In 1991, Egypt embarked upon economic reforms that were mandated by the IMF and the World Bank. But the process of reform was very slow during the 1990s, partly due to government fears of provoking wide-scale social unrest. It's only after 2001 that the government intensified its introduction of neoliberal economic reforms. These included things like privatising public sector industries, reducing government expenditure, and lowering barriers to imported goods and foreign investment. Now, these neoliberal economic reforms have had the following effects. First of all, increasing unemployment and underemployment. So despite recording quite good rates of economic growth, this has not led to the creation of jobs at a rate that corresponds with the number of new entrants to the labour market. Unemployment amongst first-time job seekers is the highest of all the categories of unemployed in Egypt. The global economic recession has exacerbated these trends by reducing the, the actual percentage of economic growth. So whereas before the economic recession, uh, economic growth was quite high but unable to keep up with the number of entrants to the labour market, obviously that gap increased even further between economic growth and number of new entrants to the labour market after the global recession. So whereas in 2006, male unemployment amongst under-29s 
was 9.7% and female unemployment in the same age bracket was 36.7%. In 2009, it was 12.4% for young men and 32% for young women. Amongst these young people, like in Tunisia, the highest employment rates are found amongst post-secondary school and university educated youth. So it's the higher educated people that where unemployment is most felt. And also the other problem is that job creation is occurring much faster in the informal and irregular employment sectors rather than in the formal private sector or public sector. So you've got more unemployed people, young unemployed people with quite high education levels and they're only finding jobs or they're mainly finding jobs in the informal or irregular sector of the economy. The other uh, impact of neoliberal economic reforms was falling real incomes. So for those in work, real incomes have been falling since the devaluation of the Egyptian pound by almost 50% in 2000. Egypt was obliged to devalue its currency in order to make its exports more competitive internationally. But the converse of this is that it made imports almost doubly expensive. Rising food prices in 2008, which was a, a more or less global phenomenon, exacerbated these problems further. So according to one article in Al Ahram Weekly, which was published last year, the minimum wage in Egypt has remained the same for the past 26 years and with the rise in the prices of food and other commodities, nearly half of Egyptian wage earners are finding it difficult to meet basic food needs. Even families with two wage earners have been driven below the 12 Egyptian pounds per day poverty line. This has meant that even middle class families have had to cut back on things like eating meat and dairy food and even fresh food, fruits and vegetables. The third impact was on uh, education and health services, um, publicly provided education and health services, where the government reduced its expenditure and this had a disproportionate impact on the poor who rely on public provided uh, welfare services more perhaps than other sectors of society. The fourth impact was rising poverty. So, Again, as I said, the macroeconomic indicators were actually quite good, but the wealth generated by economic reforms did not trickle down to the poor. Rather, the numbers living in poverty increased over the last 10 years, and income inequality in Egypt, the gap between the rich and the poor, increased dramatically as well. Finally, neoliberal economic reforms increased the amount of corruption uh, at government level. They led to the creation of a business class who benefited from their close links to the regime in order to obtain things like cheap loans, monopolies over markets and illegal land sell-offs. So in effect, neoliberal economic reforms created a type of crony capitalism. The second major structural factor was geopolitical changes. So the US-led invasion of Iraq was widely opposed by Egyptians and actually led to big public protests in 2003, which of course the government clamped down on. The Egyptian regime did not give its wholehearted support to the US invasion, but it did allow the US to use Egyptian airspace. 
However, for the Egyptian regime, the most important aspect of the US-led invasion was that it changed the balance of power in the region, in the Middle East region. So whereas before 2003, Iran had been kept in check by uh, the existence of Saddam Hussein's regime, but with the removal of that regime, Iran's influence became empowered across the Middle East region. This has led to increased polarization between a pro-US bloc, which includes Egypt, as well as Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and parts of the Lebanese government and the Fatah section of the Palestinian um, Authority, and of course Israel. And then on the other hand, you've got the anti-US bloc, which is led by Iran, and also includes Syria, Hezbollah, and Hamas. As a WikiLeaks cable noted, the Egyptian regime regarded Iran as the greatest strategic threat in the region after 2003. This is not because of its nuclear ambitions, but because of its support for Hamas and Hezbollah as proxies to spread Iranian influence in the region. This perception pushed the Egyptian regime to upgrade its cooperation with Israel, an example being its cooperation to enforce the economic blockade of Gaza. Egypt's policy towards the Gaza Strip has been very unpopular with the Egyptian public. In the past, the Egyptian regime, so prior to 2003, the Egyptian regime gained some legitimacy by appearing to not always follow US policy in the region and by maintaining what's called a cold peace with Israel. In the 1990s, there were even quite public clashes between the Egyptian and Israeli governments. Interestingly, in 2000, so this is again before the fall of the Saddam Hussein regime, in 2000 it marked 20 years since Egypt had signed a peace treaty with Israel. And an Egyptian reporter noted, Egypt chose to show high-profile support for Lebanon, which has been sustaining heavy Israeli bombardment in retaliation for Lebanese resistance against Israeli occupation. Israeli officials launch yet another war of words against Cairo. Cairo shrugs its shoulders. So before 2003, there were differences of opinion quite publicly between Egypt and Israel, but this changed dramatically after 2003. Not only uh, did Egypt start selling natural gas to Israel at uh, what many believed were under-the-market value, it also blamed Hezbollah for the war in Ju July 2006, where Israel caused massive destruction to Lebanon. And it blamed Hamas for the war in 2008-9. And this shift in Egypt's foreign policies lost it a lot of credibility amongst Egyptians. Okay, so the other factor is the increasingly assertive civil society that we've seen since 2000. And partly this has been a result of the changing geopolitical and economic circumstances of Egypt. So there have been public protests against Israeli policies in the occupied territories and since 2003 against the Egyptian regime's complicity with many of these policies. There's also been public protests against the US invasion and occupation of Iraq, and there's also been pro or opposition to neoliberal economic reforms. So those involved in these protests became grouped together in a loose coalition called Kifaya, which came to prominence in 2005. It called for constitutional reforms, 
and it opposed Hosni Mubarak's son, Gamal, inheriting the presidency. So whilst there had always been previous calls among some sections of the political opposition uh, for real political reforms, this was the first time that you had more of a mass movement and Egyptians actually went to the streets streets and staged uh, demonstrations. Unfortunately, they were unsuccessful. Um, And then in 2007 and 2008, there was a wave of protests and strikes by workers for better pay and conditions. So these different groupings, sort of those calling for political reforms, those opposing Egypt's foreign policies, and those calling for uh, better paying conditions and against neoliberal economic reforms, all came together, um, if you like, in, on January 25th. I mean, that, that's one of the reasons for the success of those protests, bringing together what had previously been separate uh, protests. Um, Obviously, over the last uh, few days, we've seen increasing demonstrations across the Middle East, uh, very violent ones in in Libya, Bahrain, also in Algeria, Yemen, uh, and in in Iran. Um, What's happened in Tunisia and Egypt has forced governments uh, across the region to try and take some sort of preemptive reforms that would um, prevent the mass sort of demonstrations that you've seen in Tunisia and Egypt. So, for example, in Yemen, the president said that he wouldn't stand again for election in 2013 and that his son would not stand either. The Algerian president said he would lift the emergency law and tackle unemployment. The Jordanian king sacked his prime minister. And in the occupied West Bank, the Palestinian Authority sacked the cabinet and called for elections in the autumn. So for the first time, Middle East governments are afraid of their people, are really afraid that real political and economic change is on its way. This has made the US jumpy because its former allies are the ones that, who are bearing the brunt of these protests. Okay, I'll stop there.